3: Oh, good to know. That's the cold open right there. (laughs) Without context. Standard issue for all women.
4: Hello and welcome to episode
3: 151
4: of the Standard Issue Podzine. I'm Mickey Noonan and I remain delighted by my brilliant decision to buy a fire pit.
3: Oh, that's nice. And it's got like pretty things on it, hasn't it? I've seen it on the gram, as they say. And it grams really nicely as well, Jen,
4: which for some people would probably be a selling point. But for me, just meant sticking my tongue out and trying to get a good shot of a fire. That was it.
2: (laughs) I'm Hannah Dunleavy and I got stuck in a traffic jam for the first time in more than a year. Nature is reclaiming what's hers, eh?
4: Yeah. Did you feel kind of good about it or was it straight back to being fucked off?
2: It was one of those situations where I hit a traffic jam and there was nothing I could do about it. There was nowhere to turn around and I knew I was going to have to ride it out. And that feeling of why did I make a decision to leave via this exit? Like immediately like hit me. So, yeah, it was like being back in the old days. It is weird. It was only caused by roadworks. Cambridge still does not have a rush hour. It doesn't have a traffic situation. It's just not happening. Oh, well, if you want that little
4: slice of normal back in your life, do
2: come to London where it appears to be
4: exactly as it used to be.
3: It's weird, isn't it? Because there's things about the old uh, pandemic and the lockdowns and, and whatnot that I think I'll actually, I think I'll actually miss. Yeah,
2: quieter roads, less traffic. I tell you what, there is an awful lot of fucking roadkill on the road, so there probably is a lot more. It's because the animals
4: had reclaimed what was theirs and we're having a
2: bloody lovely time. Say something fun, Jen, quick.
3: Um, Oh, right, okay. Well, I don't know if I can, to be honest, but I'm Jen Offord and I'm a bit over the great outdoors, soz. I'll tell you for why. It's because I sat with my friend yesterday, Don's La Balcon, having a few drinks and um, my hands are like cracked and bleeding today. Again. Why? Weather. Why? I too have hands
4: like a rhino's arse. That's it. That's all I've got for you. Sorry. (laughs) So nothing cheery there. (laughs) Later on, I chat with psychotherapist Jane Watson about the social anxiety a lot of us are feeling as lockdown restrictions ease and how we can control our re-entry
3: into society. In Jenny Off The Blocks, I catch up with Faye Bell, founder of Strong & Bendy Fitness Studio, about post-COVID gymming. And in Rated or Dated, we play the
4: game Imaginary Friend or Mental Breakdown while wiping a bogey on our ex-husband's face as we watch 1991's Drop Dead Fred. But first, what would Jesus do? It's time for the Bush Telegraph. Cue Sting. Bush
2: Telegraph. Welcome to the Bush Telegraph. I'd just like to say something to people who weren't interested in Us Keep Reminding You of Prince Philip's death last week. You're wrong. Did you see that? No. Uh, That's Andrew Marr responding to complaints that there was too much coverage of Prince Philip. And he said, if you weren't interested in Prince Philip's funeral yesterday, I've got two words for you. You're wrong.
3: I don't think he gets to decide, does he? (laughs) Well, it's interesting. I get to decide. I did actually watch it. Did you? Yeah, I did. Just because... Uh, history, basically.
2: Yeah? That's why I watched it. I noticed there was a lot more people there than 30 people, because the 30 people were the mourners, but, you know, the army outside and all of those dudes, that that actually totally made up yeah, more than 30.
3: It's sad, isn't it? It's sad for them. I felt sad for them that they have to do it all in public. I, You know, I... I felt sad for them that people on Twitter afterwards going like, oh my God, look at Charles, oh yeah, oh, he's so close to tears, isn't he? His dad's dead! Like, that is, like, the normal reaction. Mm. If anyone wonders why I've been so quiet, just stunned into silence, the news that Prince Philip is dead.
2: What? <laughs> yeah, sorry.
3: For anyone in any doubt over the existence of institutional racism in modern Britain, look no further than the Church of England, according to the BBC's Panorama programme. Despite 20 reports examining racism within the institution over the last 35 years and more than 160 recommendations made by those reports, there are still huge problems with just one in 25 members of the clergy coming from ethnic minority backgrounds. In fact, the situation was bad enough to force Dr Elizabeth Henry, the church's former race relations advisor, to retire last year, telling the programme she felt frustrated by a lack of progress. Furthermore, Dr Henry told Panorama that some staff who complained of racist incidents within the church were forced to leave their jobs and sign non-disclosure agreements in order to access small amounts of compensation. The church, which still has no single system in place to deal with complaints of racism, said it was appalled by some of the individual cases outlined by the programme, but nonetheless admitted that NDAs had been used, but only in exceptional circumstances. It's hard to think of any circumstances in which Jesus would approve of this, to be honest, isn't it? Hmm.
2: Yeah. What else wouldn't he approve of, Hannah? (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be a long podcast. (laughs) Uh, Shadow Health Secretary Jonathan Ashworth has asked the head of the civil service to investigate whether his opposite number, Hat Mancock, sorry, I mean Hat (laughs) Mancock, has breached the ministerial code. Ah, I hear you say, is this about meeting former Prime Minister and current twat David Cameron for a drink that Jem was talking about on this very podcast last week? Is it? And just to be clear, it's not. Okay. It's about some other shady bullshit. No way. Because, of course, this government is full of people finding a way to enrich themselves and their friends in the middle of a global catastrophe. It's not so much pigs at the trough as Mr. Wu's pigs at the trough. Yes, that's a niche joke you may not understand. No, for legal reasons, I'm not going to explain it. Last week, it was revealed that Mancock owns more than 15% of topwood, which specialises in shredding documents. I mean, it couldn't sound more fittingly iffy if it made literal carpet bags, but there we have it. Also, topwood... Greensill, why do all these companies sound like they've been conjured by someone giving a police officer a fake address based on what they can (laughs) see out of their window? I don't know, but I'd like to register my company, Big Hill. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, quite. Jones asked. Topwood was approved as a potential supplier for NHS trusts in England. It has emerged and won £300,000 of business from NHS Wales this year. In March this year, Mancock declared in the MP's Registers of Interests that he had acquired more than 15% of shares in uh, Top uh, Wood <laughs> <laughs> under a delegated management arrangement. No, I don't know what that means either, which may well be the point. Mm. But what I do know is that the MP's Register did not mention that Mancock's sister, Emily Gilruth, Involved in the firm since its foundation in 2002, owns a larger portion of the shares and is a director. Or, that Topwood has links to the NHS. A government spokesman said there had been no conflict of interest. He also said the health secretary had acted, and this is a quote, entirely properly. Which suggests he hasn't really been paying attention (laughs) in the last year either.
4: He's been too busy, probably, thinking about his new company, yeah. uh, Wet Grass.
2: His <laughs> <laughs> new company, at Leg Arm Chair. Leg Arm Chair, officer. I live at one Leg Arm Chair Road. <laughs> Sticking
4: with health, a 23-year-old woman has been refused a hysterectomy by doctors because of her age and, quote, childless status. Hannah Lockhart has endometriosis, a condition that can cause debilitating pain, heavy periods, and infertility, as tissue similar to the lining of the womb starts to grow in other places, such as the ovaries and fallopian tubes. It's estimated around 1.5 million women in the UK are currently living with the condition. And that word estimated takes on deeper meaning when you learn that there's an average diagnostic delay of nearly seven years when it comes to endometriosis, a common yet clearly poorly understood illness with devastating effects. Just affects women though, is it? Hannah Lockhart's problems began in her early teens and by the end of last year she was having difficulty walking and had to use a wheelchair just to be able to leave her house. She's been in hospital seven times over the past year because of crippling pain, complications from the disease mean she needs a urinary catheter to go to the toilet and after emergency surgery last summer she is already going through the menopause. Every single day I'm taking morphine, I'm taking different tablets for nerves to try and stop the pain and nothing works she says. And yet, despite pleading with doctors to perform a hysterectomy, they're still saying no. According to endometriosis-uk.org, for many women, a hysterectomy will be a positive step and will put an end to symptoms such as pain, but unfortunately, this cannot be guaranteed. The likelihood of endometriosis recurring depends on factors such as whether or not you also have your ovaries removed, whether any endometriosis is left behind, and how severe your disease is. So yeah, it's not 100% guaranteed to work, but I still really think that it should be up to Hannah Lockhart what happens to Hannah Lockhart's body.
2: Yeah, 100% agree. And in other instances, it is.
3: Yes. Would anyone like some good news? Oh, yes, please, Jen. Well, it's Alex Scott won the patriarchy nil, <laughs> according to reports last week. going to let me get my
4: pulse form out <laughs> I need to fill it in.
3: <laughs> according to reports last week, the BBC's football focus show is set to have its first ever full-time female presenter. Hooray! Hooray indeed. An Arsenal and England legend, as well as an experienced pundit and presenter, Scott's name has been leaked to the press as a successor to Dan Walker, who has announced his impending departure from the show after 12 years. And Scott's appointment is excellent news. You can't see it, listeners, but Hannah has done a knee slide and pulled a
4: T-shirt over her head in <laughs> celebration.
2: You wish I put a bra on, right?
4: <laughs> I don't know. We'll have this conversation. <laughs> off there you saucy tart. <laughs>
3: I doubt we have too many rampantly misogynist listeners, so I'm sure you are all mostly on board, but in case you come across someone who wants to tell you that women can't fill stadiums, even though that wasn't the question, (laughs) here are some reasons why Scott is extremely qualified for the role. One, she has won more than 20 titles with Arsenal, including six domestic league titles, seven FA Cups and one Champions League trophy. Two, she has represented both England and Great Britain at international level. Three, she has a degree in professional sports writing and broadcasting, which actually makes her more qualified than a large proportion of her male peers.
4: Who are you? Who are you? <laughs> Who are you? Is that a football champion? Jen?
3: <laughs> sort of. I was about to respond...
2: Very qualified for my job, thank you. I'll do. But Jen, Jen, this is what I don't understand. You have said all of that, mm. but she's got boobies, right? Good, good boobies. point. Get rid of her. Useless. <laughs> More news next week. Well, you have equal pay, but, you know, they're
4: not equal, are they? Sexism of the week. It's that time of the week where we thank the sweet lord that some men are finally taking women and girls period issues seriously by designing a product to make and I quote life easier for all women during their period. Yes mates! What is this magic? A hot water bottle imbued with absorbent ibuprofen? Unstainable white knickers? A butler? It is, drumroll please, Single-use gloves that you can then use as a bag to wrap your tampon before disposal. Wait, what? I mean, couldn't you already do that? Oh, these are pink, and they've called them pinky gloves. Well, whoop the fucking do Also, you will be pleased to hear that the gloves are, and I am not exaggerating here, fucking massive. <laughs> you could fit a tampon in each finger and still have wiggle room. Yep, as with most PPE, they are very much one size fits man. But I guess that grants even more protection from icky period blood, eh? Also, wait till these inventors find out about moon cups. They are going to shit themselves dizzy. A mate of mine once dropped her full one all over the bath mat, and I don't think a single disposable glove would have been much use to her then, even if it was fucking pink. Anyway, apparently, German ex-soldiers Andre and Eugen realised there was, quote, no good solution when it comes to disposal of tampons. The bin, fellas, the bin, which is where this idea should have gone. Instead, it got funding and hit the market too. And here's a bright spot in this shithousery, almost universal derision. (laughs) Turns out a poo bag for periods wasn't what women had been waiting for. The Pinky Crew have since released this statement. We realise that we still have a lot to learn and that we have some blind spots, said the men. We take your feedback very seriously and we'll rethink our product and reflect on the entire history of its creation. (laughs) Dramatic.
2: (laughs) The entire history. That's amazing.
4: (laughs) I've got a serious point, though, rather than just enjoying ridiculing these ninnies, which, you know, I am. Girls and women in India and Nepal are still put in menstrual huts during their periods because their biology is seen as impure or bad luck. In Madagascar, some women and girls are told not to wash during their period and also that they're not allowed to make mayonnaise. I don't know the ins and outs of that one. (laughs) Do you mind
2: if I interrupt with a little story there? Okay. Okay. Does it involve mayonnaise in your Yeah, i <laughs> No, but when I was about 16, 17, something like that, I was working in... I got a job in a little chef, Newport Pagnell <sighs> Services little chef. As a Saturday job, they made us go on a training <laughs> scheme where they taught you not to, like, lick the food before you served it, you know, that that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And one of the women who was in that training course with me who was about, I would say, I probably thought she was about 50, but I was 17. So let's say she was maybe about 40 put her hand up and said, is it true you're not allowed to touch pork when you're on your period?
4: Wowzers.
2: And I was like, what? What What would
4: happen? (laughs) I mean, it is hard to work out when you're surrounded by meat and on your period, which of them has attracted the bears.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, do continue.
4: Well, in Ghana, a group of schoolgirls were told they weren't allowed to cross the River Ophin while on their periods. And that was a river that they had to cross to get to school. And in general, sub-Saharan Africa struggles to keep girls in school during their periods because of a lack of access to appropriate hygiene. And as Hannah has just clarified with her Newport Pagnell tale, it's not just somewhere else where bullshit around female bodily functions flows freely. Over here, I know grown women who have scooped up their kids' piss, poo and puke for years, but still feel ugh about their own period blood. And that is because we are taught early on that our perfectly natural monthly bleed is dirty or
2: shameful like jones arse <laughs> <laughs> apologies i thought you might make it through the end before she showed you her belly button under her tail <laughs> <laughs> oh,
4: god that tampons and pads must be squirreled away so as not to embarrass anyone with even the hint that aunt flows in town which means stupid fucking euphemisms like aunt flows in town exist mm-hmm. And I don't know what happens now, but when I was at school, the boys were taken somewhere else while the girls got told about periods. Oh, great, that'll help them grow up to be understanding young men who think that what women have been missing for their month is some disposable pink gloves.
3: In my last office job, I would still, because sometimes you're a bit like, if I take my handbag to the toilet with me, it's obvious what's going on here, so I will conceal the tampon up the sleeve of my jumper to take it to the toilet.
2: We're like grown fucking adults. That is insane. And yet, Jen, I used to work in a newspaper where editors and, I mean, just loads of blokes of that sort of who were in their 40s and 50s used to stand up, put a copy of a newspaper onto their arm and announce they were going for a shit. <laughs> My question about this is, how on earth did they think that the way to tackle the problem of waste is to create more waste Mm. that to get rid of a tampon you should have these plastic disposable gloves you should throw more shit away than we're already throwing
4: oh sorry honey you must have missed the bit i don't you you must have missed it they're pink (laughs) (laughs) hello i am joined on the zoom by psychotherapist jane watson hi jane Hello Mickey, how are you? I'm all right thanks. So we are chatting on Zoom but really Mm. we could have met in the boozer. Outside. Outside of a boozer. I mean Mm. I say that but we are both in London and only a fool would think it's possible to book an outdoor table at a London (laughs) pub in the possible. Nope can't happen. (laughs) Still in theory it is now Mm. officially possible to socialise again and you Mm. and I chatted just at the start of the very first lockdown about how weird that was so it felt fitting that we talked towards the end of lockdown about how Mm. weird it is to come out of it
0: how Mm. are you feeling about it I suppose I've surprised myself in that I've started to feel quite comfortable in the situation I've found myself in I don't know how you feel like I've kind of got used to it because it's Uh been for so long yeah So I think I share uh, uh, probably quite a common sort of anxiety about re-entry, really.
4: (laughs) Re-entry, yeah, that is the perfect way to (laughs) describe it. And obviously some people, we've seen the photos, we've seen the footage, they have got back out there, they are right back Mm. out there. But I have seen quite a lot of understandable chatter about social anxiety as restrictions Mm. ease, and even more as of May the 17th, if the roadmap goes to plan. I have seen it among those who I think would have pre-lockdown considered themselves social or gregarious or even like stone cold mm-hmm. party legends. So James, why are we feeling like this?
0: Well, I think as it sort of approached the first time, I think what we were talking about was like the, the shock of it all mm-hmm. and people kind of not really believing what was happening. And then all these sort of rules coming into place that we absolutely had to obey. our way of being really got sort of changed, turned on its head didn't it you yeah. know our freedoms all these things we'd taken for granted suddenly you know things weren't allowed that were were normal and I think maybe going back to what I was just saying is like it's over a year now isn't it that we've all been in this sort of situation mm-hmm. but I mean there's there's a lot of things that would create more anxiety even in stone cold legends you know (laughs) like I think there's a lot of things about not knowing there's so much unknown isn't there yeah there's so many different narratives going on there's so many different versions of what's going to happen now there's a genuine fear of a, a virus among us probably a lot of people if not know someone know someone who knows someone who's who's got very ill with it or or had it or even passed away with it Mm -hmm. it's a a once in a sort of lifetime event that's taken its toll the longer you stay in a certain holding pattern the more you start to sort of become accustomed to it our normal's different to our normal in 2019 isn't it
4: isn't it and when we chatted last year we talked about it felt so strange and we felt so adrift Mm. because any semblance of control had been taken away from us Mm. and it feels
0: a bit like that now yeah yeah and I think the the thing is like it's like we've been in a bubble isn't it I mean literally that is the word isn't it that's sort of been used quite a lot and I think bubbles can be quite a secure safe space can't they quite holding yeah once you get over the initial sort of shock. And I think there's been a safety in sort of not straying too far, isn't there? This thing I was saying about sort of not knowing, I think people often struggle with it and and not having control. And I think this pandemic has really flung people into going from feeling quite in control of their lives to feeling like they have absolutely no control. But of course, if we're in our own little sort of bubbles then you can feel like you're in control of that a little bit more. Yeah,
4: yeah, I absolutely agree. And there is, as you've mentioned there, that fear of an unseeable virus. But there are mm. other fears as well. So mm. what if my social skills have gone forever, Jane?
0: <laughs> I don't think they have, but no, <laughs> I know what you mean. I mean, I've, I have sort of ventured out and gone for a walk with someone and uh, it's gone a bit like this. So oh, how are you? Fine, yeah. So what have you been up to? <laughs> Nothing, <laughs> nothing, <laughs> nothing at all. No, literally, absolutely nothing. <laughs> there is a few things, isn't there? Actually, not much to talk about. Mm-hmm. You know, usually we're like, oh, I went here. Shall we do this? There is a lot of conversational cues that have suddenly kind of disappeared for us. Yeah, and I think because maybe we haven't seen each other as much, there is a nervousness sometimes, isn't there, about meeting up with friends that maybe you've felt quite excited to see and then it's almost a bit of a letdown because (laughs) not always maybe it's just me, me and my
4: friend
0: Uh, if any of James' friends are listening sorry, I suppose what I'm trying to say is that there could be a lot of build up and anticipation it used to be normal Mm -hmm. you know. my last night out before all of this was with you guys yeah, we went to
4: uh, the comedy Yeah. yeah,
0: that's right and I think I'd been to another comedy night the night before, and I'd been did some sort of mad ghost hunting adventure the night before. <laughs> I did, like it was quite a fun packed week. Now, I mean that seemed quite normal and ca- you know, yeah. but like we've we've just not done anything like that. I saw my neighbour yesterday, and she went, "Oh, I'm going to Tesco," and I've just been, and we were like <laughs> highlight of the week, you know, and laughing because it it kind of is. So, what we 've been allowed to do has been so different to what we normally used to do, because we have not been doing our normal performing in front of our audience, our friends, then you know you get that stage fright don 't you
4: yeah, and added to that there's there 's the disconnect that the pandemic has made us all have, like zoom is mm. has become a lifeline for mm. so many people or zoom equivalents other other video calls are available. But that disconnect, what you would want to do when you see your pals after so long is give them a hug. And we Mm. can't connect that way. Mm. So it is left to verbalise in it. And yeah, I just worry that I'm just going to, I don't know, just dribble or um, start coughing. I don't know.
0: Well, you know what? It's okay to do. Well, I mean, maybe (laughs) not that. Coughing might cause some issues for people. But like what I think is maybe useful for you and all of us really is to have a degree of honesty when we do sort of meet up with people about how uncomfortable it might be feeling and difficult
4: i mean if anything that is at least something to start the conversation with
0: yeah isn't this awkward yeah of course i think i honestly think that that's the better way rather than sort of firing out dozens of questions sort of in a how are you what's what's going on so gosh this is weird isn't it hmm when was the last time we did this not sure what to say yeah you know and i'm sure really everyone else is feeling quite similar
4: so how do i retrieve my stone cold party legend
0: status (laughs) i just think you've got to take it in your own time i think there like you said there are going to be people who are straight out there and we've already seen it there are people straight bang out there can't wait and then there are going to be people like yourself who are would anticipate feeling that way but don't and then there are people who really don't ever want to leave their house again (laughs) I mean what I'd say is that I wouldn't put pressure on yourself Mm -hmm. I think everyone does it differently everyone's got their different tolerances to doing this and to just be a bit kind to yourself about what is and isn't accessible to you at the moment that is solid advice yeah so you know don't force yourself if you don't want to go to a party i mean not that really parties are allowed but you know let's say going forward they are if it feels too much then then don't go you know don't feel like you have to go to everything you know you know some people might want to go to festivals some people won't it's too soon for some people the pandemic is still rolling, isn't it? Uh So some people will feel like it's over and some people will feel like, oh, well, is it over? Am I safe? And it's all right to take your time about it. I suppose what you don't want is to feel like you can't leave at all. And then that's a problem, isn't it? Uh So I would say if you're feeling like you really are quite resistant, I would try and build up your window of tolerance, let's say, so maybe you don't want to go out for a walk but like maybe just try do something sort of moderate maybe do a shorter walk maybe meet someone for a coffee for five minutes you know in a park and leave be honest about the difficulty you're having with it and that you're trying your best and then hopefully that will lay a sort of foundation of coming back to the world as you once were Right, Jane, I am going to throw
4: a few hypothetical scenarios at you, which may okay. or may not reflect my reality. Uh, <laughs> and If you could advise, please. Okay. Okay, so I have been persuaded by a pal who is genuinely a Stone Cold Party legend to go out, mm. but I'm mm. not as comfortable as she is when it comes to crowds. So how do I set my boundaries without pissing her off? So are you saying she she
0: wants to go somewhere where there is crowds?
4: She's up for some crowded places. She's probably
0: gonna go in for a while, well, Okay. Well, I mean, I think the the thing about honesty again, I think you say that's not look, I'm not judging you, you know. Maybe you are, don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> and say, I'm just not ready for that. Mm-hmm. You know? The other thing is, you know, some people are comfortable with bending the rules and some people are not. Yeah. And yeah. I think you've just got to be honest about it. And look. The hope is if they're a decent friend, they'll respect that. You might get some pushback, and oh, come on, get over yourself. But that's where you come in with managing your boundaries. Don't get dragged along into something you're not happy about. And it is just just being really honest about it. If the scenario sounds like it will not fit what you can tolerate, then I would be inclined to make an excuse not to go at all if it was that difficult.
4: Okay, so what if the person piling on the pressure is a boss? How Mm. would someone best negotiate there?
0: Well, I think it's okay in that scenario to sort of be a little bit creative with your excuses. You know, maybe you've got to go back to feed the dog. There'll be something that needs to be dealt with at home that you cannot possibly be out every night as well. You know, maybe there's someone you need to support and visit I'm not advocating lying per se, <laughs> but I'm also, I suppose I'm appreciating, it might not be easy to be that honest, like we were talking in the previous uh, scenario with someone who's got power over you, yeah. who controls whether you have a wage or not. But I think you can, you're well within your rights to say that you absolutely can't be out past the time that you're in the office, that you have other responsibilities.
4: Okay, so in the end, I did go out. I've had a nice time and a couple of beers. Okay. But now I'm back Mm -hmm. home and I cannot stop thinking that my three stories about the cat made me less than sparkling company. How do I tell those fears to jog on so that I'm
0: not paralysed with fear about going out again? (laughs) Oh, right. So when I hit these sort of negative sort of little stories we tell ourselves about how boring and rubbish we are, what I often say is, um, so imagine it's me saying it to you mickey i was out with you last night i had a few and um i think i talked about cats more than that was (laughs) necessary i mean it's the wrong audience (laughs) i fucking love cats (laughs) me too so like so i'm saying this to you so it's what you're saying to me i'm saying it to you friend to friend Mm -hmm. what would you say to me i'd say stop
4: being a daft bugger we had a lovely time
0: okay so what I often suggest and do myself if, if the negative thoughts are really kind of creeping in is do this like a little bit of an exercise. How would you talk to a friend about that scenario? And what you'll often find is you're a lot kinder when you're talking back to an imagined other than you are to yourself.
4: Oh, that is a whole other podcast, isn't it, Jane? Because I think the same goes. So is. Same goes for oh, yeah. romantic entanglement, getting out of toxic relationships, all
0: of that. Across the board. It's really good. At, if you've got a an inner, a critical inner voice, it's a really good exercise to kind of get you out of that spiral. You're right. It's a different topic altogether. That voice is often not very representative of yourself. I mean, not everyone has it, especially if they're, you know, securely attached and, you know, I'm going off now. But if you are someone who is quite critical, it's quite a useful thing to do is imagine you're trying to reassure a friend and you'll be kind. And that'll be the voice that probably most people will identify with more. It's unlikely any friend is going to think oh that was just too many cats not (laughs) not in my sphere
4: yeah totally not in my friend circle either (laughs) exactly so do you know what what I've decided is the world did shrink around us all but actually I have grown very comfortable in my quiet life cocoon and the thought of keeping up with the social demands I had pre-pandemic makes me antsy Mm. is it okay to just stay at home and take things really easy for a little mm. bit longer
0: totally yeah yeah absolutely I think we've kind of discussed it a little bit anyway like take your time you might find that you don't want to do things the way you did them before you might want to go out less that's okay it's all okay you know there's no rules to this this is the friend voice I need to hear in my head isn't it it is. and But, you know, if you did what I just said earlier, you would be talking like that to, you, to me, wouldn't you?
4: Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that. Exactly. to yeah. so
0: do it. Yeah. So, Jane, just
4: for all of the listeners, can I just get you, like, specifically saying, look, do what makes you feel okay and take your time.
0: You've got this. Look, do what you think is okay. Take your time. You've got this. Oh, thanks, Jane.
4: Where can people find you and uh, maybe, you know, get some more uh, comforting words or indeed pay you to give them some comforting words?
0: I have a website called Jane Watson Therapy and I have a Facebook page. It's Jane Watson Therapy, where I post some useful articles. I'm I'm not particularly prolific on the old socials, I'm afraid. That's as far as I've got.
4: That's probably why you're saner than most people. Thank you so, so much for such great advice and for chatting to me. See you for a pint. For sure.
2: So, want to know what we're up to in the next few weeks? I can imagine you furiously nodding, so here goes. Mix got a date with the glorious Holly McNish to talk poetry, prose, masturbation, grief, Otters and her brilliant new book, Slug. You can tell Mickey wrote that, right? Because I'd have totally said wanking. Lara Parmiani, artistic director of Legal Aliens Theatre, talks to Mick about Things I Am Not, the company's fascinating 10-part podcast of original audio stories from migrant women. Mick's also chatting to Leonie Ross about her lightning bolt of a novel, This One Sky Day, a political post-colonial satire where gods are mischievous and people are magic. Sounds great. Jen is going to be chatting with Helen Russell, journalist and author of How To Be Sad, about why we shouldn't fear sadness, and with galleries set to reopen soon, we hope. She's also catching up with Catherine McCormack about her new book, Women in Picture, Women, Art and the Power of Looking as well as some exhibitions to check out in the coming months. And what the hell have I been doing, I hear you ask? Well, coming up this Sunday is The Chops with journalist Lizzie Denning, who runs the website Survivor Stories, about how first-person narratives help change public opinion and how they can also be good for the people writing them. I've also been on the phone to standard-issue fave fix Layton to chat about salvaging a good year out of a terrible one, And personal soapbox alert, I'm also going to be chatting to Transform Drugs, about 50 years of the Misuse of Drugs Act and where it is failing our communities. If you want to make sure you miss not a one of these excellent interviews, you know what to do. Press subscribe. Thank you.
0: You play
3: ball like a girl! Go on, do one, kid. Jenny off the blocks. I am in the atmospheric environment of Hackney Wick with Mouse, a.k.a. Faye Bell, or the other way around if you prefer, but mostly known as Mouse, founder of Strong and Bendy Fitness Studio. (laughs) Hello, Mouse. Hello.
1: Thanks for coming down.
3: Well, thanks for inviting me. It's it's rather beautiful here. Thank you. In a sort of
1: concrete
3: jungle kind of
1: way. That's Hackney Wake, that's what we love about it. Absolutely. And yeah. we're the little sanctuary in the concrete jungle. Yeah. It's nice that you're still saying nice things about us, about your legs, are, <laughs> even though your legs are burning.
3: <laughs> yes, I've just had a go, I've just had a little session with Mouse on the TRX and yes, I am in some considerable middling. We'll see how I feel tomorrow. Yeah, but a little well, bit. then the
1: next day, two days afterwards, yeah. that's when you know about it.
3: Strong and Bendy is the fitness studio and it is outdoors you've got a big outdoor space here and there's like little lights everywhere and mickey who i work with would fucking love it here what i wanted to talk to you about is the fact that gyms have now finally reopened and i and i personally have not been in a gym for over a year so we're outdoors apart from like the whole covid stuff that's going on what are the benefits of being outdoors
1: yeah well we set up the studio to have an outdoor fitness garden and we set that up before covid so obviously that was really fortunate for us because in times um during all of this where sort of traditional indoor gyms and indoor studios have been closed but it was recognized that it was much safer and you know safe to exercise outdoors we were able to to offer that and it was at a time when people needed it the most we could on and off because it wasn't all the time but on and off at times we could we could be there and that was an amazing feeling but a lot of things have cropped up post-covid that have like moved their classes outside but that's been like a temporary fix to let them run whereas for us having something outdoors was like a core Mm -hmm. part of what what we Mm -hmm. wanted to do and i think it was all about us when we set up strong and bendy just changing what fitness meant so we had and i say we i founded strong and bendy with my um twin sister ria found a passion for exercise sort of later into our 20s stressful jobs and the release of that and founding this joy and exercise that wasn't about you know punishment for what you ate which is how we lift our teams but actually you know training for things and getting strong and, and that feeling good and that was an amazing kind of revelation but all of that was happening in these kind of like basement gyms so at one point I worked in a basement office and then exercised in a basement gym and I was working long hours and I was getting home and I felt like I wasn't you know I was cycling to and from work fortunately but feeling like I wasn't really getting natural light or natural space and one of the things we wanted to do when we set up Strong and Bendy was just change the spaces that people exercised in so that meant the way that we decorated our indoor studio but it was meant what we offered outside as well and when we first looked around this space I'll be honest we started to look and think "Oh, could that be like a yoga shala and could we could we kind of put some kind of structure around it because we wondered whether people would exercise outside there wasn't really a model for it you know, there's things like british military fitness but it was kind of this perception that if you worked out outdoors it was like a go hard or go home like boot camp environment mm. or it was sterile and it was sanitized and it was inside so we were kind of opening out our own minds to what that could could look like and then we started to sort of play around with these ideas of it being i don't want to say a playground you know because it's it's not that it hasn't got swings in it but that feeling of like playing out and exercising outside and it was a massive risk for us because we had to build it and see if people would come we hadn't done it before our previous studio was a temporary space where it had all been inside and to be honest we had to take a massive punt and put in a lot of money and a lot of time and effort to see if it would work and and unfortunately it did and people responded really well to it absolutely what you've just said about
3: how exercise is always sort of seen traditionally certainly when I was younger as being about punishment for what you ate exactly yeah rather than being about being you know doing something fun Like, you're not encouraged to kind of do that as an adult.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think there's this transition that happens where children kind of play outside. Well, first of all, children play outside and they're exercising without calling it exercise, you know. And then they kind of get to school. And I think that you start exercising and you call it exercise because you call it PE and there's probably still then some joy in that Mm because it's an element of play and if you do sport for fun there's that competitive nature and you kind of enjoy that and I think certainly for women there's this period then that you go into exercise not being about fun and play and competition and social unfortunately I'm not talking about everybody here but uh, unfortunately a lot of women include myself in this go through this journey of then exercise being yeah exactly that a punishment Mm -hmm. for for what you've eaten and when you find opportunities to come out of the other side of that and start to exercise because it releases endorphins and it gets rid of stress and it and it makes you feel good that's this revelation and it's just really sad to to rihanna and i who, who set this up that 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 doesn't necessarily happen for everybody that kind of revelation moment where you realize that fitness can be can be fun rather than a punishment and for us kind of exercising outside is kind of all all a part of that I and mean, it's a little bit cheesy to say it reminds you of playing out when you were a kid but it kind of does because what happens is that people they just get wrapped up warm and they come out and they do it and then what happens from there is the next time they're thinking about going for a run but it's cold they think oh actually but I know that you do get warmed up or maybe they would never do that on the run but they know if there's a, a group here that they'll they'll come along and they'll they'll give it a try and actually as long as you put a few layers on once you get moving you get warmed up and yeah. it's fine you know like, there hasn't been a single class here that we've had to completely and utterly call off because the weather has been that appalling that we haven't been able to do it you can modify and you can find things that you do and there's this really kind of strange satisfaction that comes out the other end of being like oh I did that mm. and it's totally different to like a sanitary kind of inside So and don't get wrong I mean we've got an indoor studio and what I'm not saying is that you know if it was minus five degrees and we had an indoor space we wouldn't run our polities because of yeah. course we would but there's, there's a, a time where It's just really nice to embrace being outdoors. I don't think it'd be fair to call it fresh (laughs) air in Hackney Wick. <laughs> next to the ator but it's you know it's fresher than potentially being inside in, in a basement and it kind of I mean this is going to sound very cheesy but it just sort of makes you feel a bit alive you know just yeah. to be outside and we've got a, a willow tree in the middle that we exercise around and it's just it changes what you kind of expect exercise to be because yeah. it's gone from you know play for children and not even calling it exercise to kind of treadmills lined mm-hmm. up side by side and actually there's nothing wrong with that if that's what somebody enjoys but actually if you really said to somebody is that fun? I don't think they would say it was fun and we want we do to be fun. Yeah. Yes, and effective and yes, it'll make you stronger and yes, it'll make you feel good but can it be fun as well? Is that too much to ask? You know, does it have to be a punishment? Isn't there enough of that as an adult? (laughs) I think what we're really keen on is just that things don't have to sit in boxes. Like, it doesn't have to be... Oh, it's fun and it's a playground and it's a lovely community. Or it's hard and you get stronger and you feel awesome. It can be both of those things, and I think that quite often women are put in boxes like that. Actually, where a space for anybody, but women in particular can be kind of put into boxes. Like you either have to be like girly and fun, and or you're like you're strong. It's like actually, well here, you know, we've got pull up bars and we get women on them and doing things that they never thought that they could have been capable of. And the walls are pink.
3: So it's a really gorgeous environment and it, it does look a bit like a playground. And there's some like lovely murals as well on the walls.
1: Yeah, so these are actually murals of some of our members that joined us when we first had our temporary space. And they were members, and they became friends, and they're, they're loyal customers as well. But this was kind of our peaceful protest against the fitness industry norm of what we see as kind of body shaming and transformation. So, you know, 30-day plans like you look like this and stand slumped in your horrible faded cream underwear, and then X many days later yeah. you look better because we've transformed you. And we just found that quite disturbing this kind of, well first of all it plays into a lot of what's wrong in the fitness industry which is kind of selling these solutions and whether or not they're sustainable and and all of that.
3: It's like what you just said to me before about about abs for example, like you literally, if you're a woman you basically can't have them.
1: I mean pretty much, I mean there's a few people that have got the genetics where they carry like a very small percentage of body fat but you know pretty much everyone else it's virtually impossible so to kind of transform somebody was quite a disturbing concept to us, it's like why would I want to transform these people that have brought so much to me, I've gotten as much from them in running this business as they are getting from me, so to say to them we can transform you that's not what we wanted, we wanted to celebrate people and say, you know, back to this kind of punishment for what and all of that come here and, and feel good and that's a totally different kind of symbol on yeah. the wall of a, of a fitness space versus you know, walking past somewhere and there's a picture of how awful you looked before and look how great you look now I mean, look how beautiful these people yeah. Are, you know and that's just the surface of them when you get to know them they're such amazing people and I think fitness does that it kind of turns people into like chunks of meat that <laughs> you know that that don't look good enough and yeah. it's like well what about how it makes you feel and that was yeah. kind of what we were getting at with these meals. I mean we we're very lucky to work with the most incredible artist called Zabu who um, actually if you look her up on Instagram she's absolutely amazing to kind of bring these to life for us.
3: Yeah, so like you don't need transformation. You don't need to transform. You need to go and have a nice time and, yeah, and enjoy yourself.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Obviously, it is.
3: You know, there's an outdoor space here, but as I said before, you do have an indoor space as well. Yeah. So, so I have not been to a gym for ages, as I said before, and. Um, and re- they've they've re- reopened now, and I feel a little bit nervous about going back in a gym at the moment. So, because your indoor space is for group exercise, yeah. which means you can't open just yet. That'll happen soon,
1: uh, 17th of May. The 17th yep. of
3: May. But like, can you give sort of any reassurance to people who might be a bit nervous about going back in the gym?
1: I would say that every space deserves to be assessed on like its own merit. Mm. So, at the end of the day, you know, I'm no scientist, but COVID is spread if ventilation is per- and fresh air isn't circulating and people are close together and stuff isn't sanitised so if you are choosing to go back to a gym where there is fresh air circulating and they have positioned people safely from one another I would say it is time to go back because in in my opinion we're kind of reaching a tipping point in this this pandemic where we need to start to recognise, and many people have already but the other mental and physical health Downsides of not getting some of that normality back. So I think it's just a balance. I'm not saying, you know, every gym is safe and get yourself back in there. But what I am saying is that I think there are many, many gyms that have worked incredibly hard and spent a serious amount of money during really difficult times where most of them haven't made any money for for Mm. over a year to make space safe and actually how I feel about us when in this space is that we run this to make people healthier Mm. I have absolutely no incentive to do anything here that puts somebody's health at risk
3: so you guys can't open your indoor space until May the 17th I wondered if you had any thoughts on that as someone from in the actual fitness industry because obviously it has been a really hard time and you know, as someone who does go to a lot of gyms, it, it feels to me like these rules have kind of been made by people who've maybe never seen like what a, what a gym actually looks yeah. like and how crammed together apparatus is. Exactly, like yeah.
1: I mean, it's infuriating for us that a distinction has been made between a gym and a fitness studio. Just to be clear about the, the guidelines, group exercise, which is what fitness studios generally offer, group exercise cannot happen until the 17th of May. And I think that there's been too much placed on that word group well, group exercise isn't groups of people huddling close together up in each other's faces. Group exercise is when you come to something and you do the same exercise simultaneously to one another. So if you go in a gym, that can open. You've got treadmills. They're safely distanced from each other. One person's running at one speed, one's running another, another might be on a cross trainer. That's a gym, so that's fine. However, a fitness studio, because it's classed as group, can't open even though you could position your yoga mats as far away as treadmills as a p- position from each other. Just because you're doing a movement simultaneously, it doesn't mean that COVID's more likely to spread. So it just it just makes absolutely no sense. For us it's frustrating we have a ground floor, well ventilated, open space that opens onto a garden where we can give the appropriate distance between people, we can sanitise. In fact having a group instructor there allows you to control the flow of people. Um, it's not like I mean in a gym you could use a cross trainer and then move and use a treadmill in a fitness studio you wouldn't you know use your yoga mat and then say half with Oh excuse me Lord, do you mind if I yeah. <laughs> give yours a go I let the look of your yoga mat I mean yeah. you just don't so it is annoying I mean to us it's another example and there's many we could have a whole separate conversation about it of moments during this pandemic where mainly white middle-aged men have made decisions that have disproportionately affected women and this is another one
3: because women um primarily users of or group
1: participants of group fitness fitness and don't get me started on why they probably gravitate to group fitness spaces and perhaps have felt alienated from, you know, masculine gym spaces. And I don't want to generalise there, there's a lot of people who are confident and welcome in gyms. So I'm not you know, that's but there is a lot of women who come to group fitness because they don't feel like gyms are for them. So yeah, just another example it's that knock on domino effect. And I would fully accept it if it was about safety, I have an absolutely no incentive to do anything that puts our members at risk. And if I really in my heart of hearts was like, oh do you know what, the right we've come this far, I would be very happy to stay closed. But yeah, it's frustrating financially, emotionally, all of it, to, to see other businesses allowed to operate when you know you can make the same yeah. modifications? Because it
3: would I imagine what gyms are doing, I don't know because I haven't been in one, but I guess like reduced capacity, for example. Yes, yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah, sure. Classes. And that's what we've always we've done yeah. that outside as well.
3: Obviously COVID has been like really, really tough on some industries and the fitness industry is one of them and people have kind of adapted a bit and there's like new things, there's all sorts of fitness apps now at the moment that people are using. Do you have any concerns about that? Are you worried that people have adapted sort of away from the gym or do you think people are
1: always going to come back not at all i'm, I'm not worried first of all the certain people that, un- that just are not motivated to to exercise yes. at home yeah i think certain people need the motivation and always will of being in a group and there's a social element that comes from real life experiences i mean it's a bit like spotify didn't kill the festival to me it's about real life experiences will always be Valued, And then, you know, there's kit that people don't have at home. So, you know, you've got pull-up bars and TRXs and battle ropes and, you know, punch bags and weights, etc. You know, so there's a certain kind of array of equipment that keeps people interested. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, like, the knowledge of a real-life instructor and how I'm able to have somebody in my class and notice, you know, or oh, looks like you're yeah. hypermobile, it looks like your back's niggling a bit on that movement, or it can be able to offer something in a group setting that's very personal to to somebody. So, no, I mean, there will be a handful of people that love the apps and continue to use them at home, but actually most people are bored and they don't have the space and they don't have the array of equipment. So, no, I think for us the biggest thing will be getting people comfortable that they are, and this is not just this. this is not just fitness, this is restaurants and everything, that you know, people getting over the fear of being around other people because of COVID and they may continue to work out on the apps because of that, mm. but not because they don't want to come back, they will reach a point where they, they feel comfortable and, and they do. Do you have any
3: social media people can follow if they want to sort of check out what you guys do? Yes,
1: we're at strong underscore bendy on Instagram you can find us on Facebook, but obviously we're more active on, on Instagram and we're uk. if anybody's the area and wants to check out a class. Great. Mouse, thank you so thank much. Thank you.
2: Welcome to Rated or Dated. Mickey, which film had us dressed in clothing that covered from literal head to toe? No inch of flesh showing this week.
4: All right, Snotface. Yeah, this week we watched 1991's cult kiddult classic Drop Dead Fred from Dutch director Ate de Jong, I think I'm saying that right, and starring the late great Rick Mayle as what would happen if Mary Poppins fucked Beetlejuice, i.e. confusion, chaos and the odd spoonful of sugar. Emphasis on odd there, because this curate seg of a film does not seem to have an intended audience. It's a kid's film with its silliness, its bogeys and mud pies, its cartoon violence and cartoon consequences. But it got a 15 certificate and is actually very much about a woman's mental breakdown after years and years of emotional abuse. Somewhat ahead of its time, it is a bright green and yellow movie about mental health. And when they saw the manic final product, Polygram tried desperately to sell it to another studio. No one wanted it. It tanked at the box office, making just shy of £2 million profit, which is of course coppers in film money. Critics hated it as well, with the Chicago Tribune's Gene Siskel describing it as easily one of the worst films I've ever seen, which explains its 11% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. But Drop Dead Fred found its people on VHS to become a bona fide cult classic. I personally watched it a lot as a kid, as did a lot of my mates, and while it always felt a bit naughty sneaking a viewing in below my mum's radar, I was really surprised by just how grown up a lot of drop dead Fred is viewing it again as an adult. And not just when Fred realises that humans don't do it like pigeons. So, the plot. Phoebe Cates is Elizabeth Cronin, a 26-year-old woman who loses her husband, an horrific slime ball who's been boffing someone else, her job and her car in the space of a lunch hour, and is forced to go back to live with her domineering mother, as in her domineering mother literally forces her to do this. At the back of the cupboard in her old childhood bedroom, she finds a taped-up jack-in-the-box. Opening it releases her long-forgotten imaginary friend, drop-dead Fred, a mischievous, rude, uncontrollable, primary-coloured imp who goes about cheering her up by making even more of a mess of her already knackered life. Chaos ensues, our girls' breakdown gets real real, but sort of, thanks to Fred it's all okay in the end probably it is daft and dark and about as subtle as dog shit on a cream carpet but it's also got some moments of surprising emotional heft not least when lizzie realizes it's time to let go of the controlling characters in her life and that includes fred also carrie fisher's in it result so you can watch this as if it is fight club drawn in crayon as in as if everything is in phoebe Cates' character's head And if you do that, it is so dark and occasionally tips into psychological horror. But I would say that I think the intention is, and I say this because of the scene where we meet lots of imaginary friends, we are supposed to believe that Fred and other imaginary pals exist, at least to the person that they're friends with. I think whether you like it or not depends on how you feel about Rick Mail's pure post-punk comedy performance. And Rick Mail told Film 91 during a set visit, that was previewed ahead of the film's uk release date fred's imaginary so he can be anything he can be over the top and loud and stupid and childish so that means i can be me and indeed this is a whole lot of mail which i love because i love rick mail but i can see why the non-stop breakneck mania might be off-putting for those who don't see also jim carrey in the mask which i don't really like at all he lacks the male magic although he was much more lauded for what is a very similar performance. I love that the happy ending is Lizzie on her own. Unlike Bridget Jones or Abby the ship vet from The Truth About Cats and Dogs, Lizzie finds happiness not by getting back together with the rotten Charles or bunking up with smitten childhood pal Mickey, but by admitting she's scared to be alone and then doing it anyway and taking control of her own life. However, that drop-dead Fred reappears as Mickey's daughter's new imaginary pal is kind of worrying good news for fred like but as he says to lizzie if you're happy why am i here so that little girl who is also a child of divorce is clearly in trouble basically it's a very confused film i'm very confused and there is a lot to say about fred's well dodgy attitude to women how are you two <clears throat> feeling
2: <laughs>
4: <clears throat> jen uh, let's go to jen's face <laughs>
3: I watched this loads as a kid as well. And I loved it when I was a kid because it's just funny, isn't it? When you're when you're little watching it now, I found it less funny. But I think like I I not to say I'm not a fan of Rick Mail, but I never really got bottom. Like it, it, that just wasn't for me. I never really understood like why everyone loved it so much. And he's kind of similarly kind of slapsticky sort of. Do you know
2: what, Jen, though? You and I both because I'm gonna agree with you, I didn't really get bottom, but you and I also didn't really get Aladdin. And it's a similar thing. In fact, Robin Williams was offered this role, wasn't he? Tim Burton was offered the directorship. Do carry on what you're saying, but I was just interjecting to say I agree with you, and I think it is definitely a certain kind of of humour.
3: Yeah, it was a bit too much for me. I think you're right, like, if you look at it as in, like, it's her mental breakdown or whatever, it's so, so, so dark. The other thing is, her mum is fucking awful, but I found myself, I don't know if it's because I am now a mum, but, like, bloody hell, like, how would you deal with that? Like, you know, she's got well, all that shit on the table and she's, yeah, you know, agreed. dicking around like that. Like, i I mean, I don't think I'm going to deal with it much better if Lyra ever makes a mud pie
2: on the kitchen table. <laughs> I... Totally agree. I think that there is bits in this that are really funny, like the joke that you said earlier about the pigeons. That's a really (laughs) funny joke when he says do it like the pigeons. But then it goes one step further and he's outside with the spade and he's chasing them. And that's where to me I'm like, if it had stopped with the pigeon joke, that would have been the perfect pitch for me. I mean, I still love Rick Mayle because it's still his delivery of that line that is amazing. But nonetheless, it does always go a little bit too far for me. But I cannot, I'm really sorry. I saw this at the cinema and I liked it, but I cannot get over how much, I'm going to say Fred, but then I was add this film, Hates Women. And it hates women because it's horrible to women. It's actually violent to women. I started to write down the incidences of how women are always the victim of what happens, be it that the nurse gets hit in the face with a pan by accident. It's a female violinist who gets hit with the, like, bag. But what happens to Carrie Fisher in this is fucking outrageous. (laughs) She's done nothing to merit losing her house and being richly humiliated at work. But then also what it does, the men, not only is he not inflicting it on the men, Mickey gets a moment to embarrass himself, but he chooses to embarrass himself in that restaurant. And the blame over the dad leaving... Never lands on the dad. It goes from, it's wrong for the mum to blame the daughter. And the end resolution seems to be, it was her fault. It was the mum's fault he left. Never that it was his fault. And a bit like when I, that thing that happened to me in Rocky, when I saw it, I just couldn't stop seeing it. I could not stop seeing it. So I would say, I came out of this and I thought, I genuinely will never watch that again. Because the funny doesn't compensate for the and it's really some of it's really sexualized when he jokes about the mum and he says she's got cobwebs that's a really adult joke yeah loads of it is really
4: adult jokes the ups the upskirting there's like three occasions i think of upskirting
2: but he says cobwebs that's such a Mm. fucking foul thing he calls her a bitch all the time it's really it's it's really actively he hates women so i think
4: it's really interesting the point that you were both brought up and clearly i spotted as well as that attitude specifically towards lizzie's mum and it is like was lizzie's mum a mega beast uh, or did she have the child from hell who smashed up her house broke windows terrorized the neighbors shaved the cat made a right res- mess of the dining room table and i think this is where the film fails itself actually because there are a few hints that lizzie's mum is actually withdrawn and abusive but they're hard to spot and i actually went back to look for them because I was like wow that's that's mad and so they could have been clearer but Elizabeth does say I should have never let my mother know how much she could hurt me once she knew how she knew that she could do it all the time and she did and she has bad parents like her dad is very much in this as well when they think they're being burgled I'm like no one's checked on the kid they just Mm. no one goes and checks Mm. that their little girl is okay her mum likes us cuddlings for teddy bears. There's, it's, clearly, she's, we're supposed to think that she has had love withdrawn from her. So she repress, repressed all this stuff that is in the Jack in the Box. And obviously, it comes out as Drop Dead Fred. But yeah, the attitude towards women, I totally agree with both of you. It is awful.
3: They they do it really, you're right though, they do it it really badly because the bit where she says, and once I let her know how she could hurt me, she does it all the time, Is it's just a bad example because what would you do in that situation? Of course you're going to be like, right, Fred's fucking off now because this is too much, I (laughs) can't handle it. Of course you would do that. And the way that... The dad doesn't back her up either. He's like, oh, I think this is really unfair. It's like, yeah, because you're not the fucker who has to clear up after her. Exactly <laughs> that.
4: And how does it? And then his further reaction to that is like, I think you're a bad mum. How dare you do this to her? He fucking leaves. And from what we can tell, doesn't have any more input into his daughter's life. Mm. So, yeah, wholehearted, full on agree that it does not like women. And interesting that Fred appears to little girls
2: yeah
4: when he is quite a sexualized I mean part of this is the baggage that male brings as well as you know being a bit like in the young ones he's all like ladies girls and obviously has no look with them but he brings that with him so for him to just appear to little girls
2: well he's flash art and then flash
4: art yeah there's a there's a bit and he does the stance and I'm like pure flash art as well uh, and obviously, I'm I'm grinning as I say this, because I fucking love Rip Mail and uh, everything he touched. Even the shitty stuff. <laughs> but yeah, the, the, I thought it was really interesting that he appears to little girls. And one of the positives, because I think there are still positives to take from this, is that little girls are told they're not allowed to misbehave in the same way that little boys do. And the chaos that she causes, I mean, is outrageous. The, the little girl at the end who he's reappearing to, when ends up like noosing up a woman like a pinata a woman yeah there we go again some other nagging bit yeah but that mischief that they cause the making mud pies the getting dirty the not being the quiet little girl is interesting i think but yeah it it misses the mark because it's so fucking misogynist
3: sorry i spoke over you then i do i do think there is another good point to it which is that ultimately she chooses kindness over this fucking awful man charles Mm. who's who's Horrible to her. And she chooses someone who actually wants to love her and be kind to her. No,
4: she doesn't choose anyone. She doesn't end up with Mickey, which I really like. I I like that she doesn't have any man. He says, I'd like to put myself forward. And she goes, all right, thanks for saying that. But she doesn't
3: say yes. I completely misinterpreted that then.
2: He appears to the little girl. Fred then appears to the daughter. Mm. And I've always thought that the implication was that eventually they would be a family and then that little girl wouldn't need fred either
4: oh hmm. i don't know but i think i'm taking it from when fred says to her you've got to you know you've got to control yourself and you've got to be in control of of you in the weird beetlejuice fantasy fantasy sequence
3: well she does choose kindness anyway she like she ditches that bell end so like, and she you know...
4: hugs her mum as well instead of being like What she says is, I'm not afraid of you in the fantasy house. But in reality to her mum, she
2: does choose kindness and she hugs her and then leaves. I want to just to reiterate, because you made it very well. But your point is that one of the biggest confusions about this film is who the fuck it's (laughs) Totally, I mean, it is like the perfect example of of something that I can't I just can't imagine who the who the audience is and and although you do get adult jokes in kids films all the time because you know Pixar created that because it was about you know trying to if the parents have to sit through it Mm. give them something as well but they're not generally sexualized jokes I think the Simpsons kind of started that yeah but those jokes don't tend to be sexualized jokes they're like something like cobwebs for example it just tends to be a joke that maybe something's political or social or cultural that that like kids aren't going to get and the idea that there is a film about a woman whose imaginary friend appears to her when she needs him again in her life is brilliant. It is a brilliant mm-hmm. idea, but it's not a brilliant idea for this film. It's a brilliant idea for another film that they didn't go off and yeah, make. Yeah, I
4: think you I think you nailed it earlier, actually, when you you the the it doesn't know when to stop. but you were talking yeah. about the pigeon joke, and you're like, and it should have a yeah. there." but the whole film it's like it goes, oh we we could stop here," and it's funny it's it's worked. But that step further kind of undermines the positive messages within it.
2: Yeah. Can we briefly talk about the fashion, which is just (laughs) extraordinary? I mean, I referred to it at the top, but like Phoebe Cates is basically dressed like a Victorian ghost throughout the whole of this. (laughs) She sleeps in a nightdress that's like from neck to floor. She walks around in things that are from neck to floor. But the the absolute knockout is right in the first scene where she goes to see her gaslighty husband. And he is taking some glamorous person out for a test drive because, you know, he can't keep his dick in his pants and that woman looks like a fucking gladiator <laughs> i've not seen anything like it she's got like a mullet and then like the seriously the most extraordinarily hench legs i've ever seen in my life does she have one of those poogle sticks like
4: the massive cotton she bugs? looks
2: like when we went to harwich. harwich honest to god go back and watch it again she looks like that
4: but younger It's that gorgeous uh, joining together of late 80s, early 90s, isn't it? That that clash, Mm. it literally is just a a
2: car smash of fashion. It seems a squandering of Carrie Fisher, I would say. In fact, Carrie Fisher basically appears to be doing a retread of her character in When Harry Met Sally. That's what I thought, Mm. yeah. Yeah. I don't know what state Carrie Fisher's life or career was at that point, so I'm not going to judge her for it.
4: But also I think, like... Like you say, there is a good film in there. There's an interesting sell. So if you've been sold it as an interesting sell, you could see why she'd be like, oh yeah, this could be quite interesting. And I've also got yeah. to say that I think Phoebe Cates is excellent. She is such a good foil for Rick Mail's mania. She does it so well. That bit in the restaurant where obviously Fred's trying to get her to throw water on herself and tip her food over. That comic acting is brilliant where she's doing it. There isn't really Fred pushing her. She's like doing the jittery am i gonna throw this mm. i don't want to throw it and i think she she holds her own amidst chaos
2: but just like she's from little house on the prairie <laughs>
4: yeah yeah she is dressed like she's from little house on the prairie it's such it's like little ankle socks and brogues with bows on them yeah
2: it's mad it's like um, blossom isn't it it is very it's blossom like she didn't have enough fabric on her she then starts adding like this big bow to her hair at one point it's like there's not a single inch of her that's not covered in fabric going to ask i think i know your answers but uh
4: rated or dated yeah dated
3: yeah a bit dated for for me
4: i'd say for me i i'm quite conflicted i think it is very dated in lots of ways but i do think there's some positivity in that she chooses herself and also i did still have a mostly lovely
3: time watching it but i love it male but I think you can, can't you? I think you know. I think you can. Something can be dated but still enjoyable to watch, can't it?
2: Well, are we suggesting that we need an in between? Sorry, rated or dated sorry, I've or ruined ran. the concept. <laughs> yeah, Gem, <laughs> we're very binary here at Standard very It's either rated or it's dated. You have to commit. Who is
4: on the movie Wheels of Steel next time? That's me. That what we watching?
2: Next week, I thought we could watch 1981's Gregory's Girl, which was the only British rom-com that existed when I was growing up.
3: Football, Jen. I know, exciting.
1: (laughs) Standard issue for all women.